0: This is the Hope Church Mill Creek podcast and you're hearing the voice of lead pastor Josh Westmoreland. Hope Church Mill Creek is a church replant in the Hope Church family based out of Danville, Virginia. Our church specifically is in Roxboro, North Carolina, just about an hour north of Durham. Our family of Hope Churches has a total of 13 locations at this time along the Virginia-North Carolina border mostly in smaller our uh, specific location has existed officially since January 22, when my family and I moved from Mississippi to lead this plant. We hope you enjoy this podcast and bring something away from it that helps you. If you do, it would help us greatly if you left a good review on Apple Podcast or you just, you know, shared it. We wish you all the best, uh, grace and peace to all of you, and happy listening. We're ending the book of Philippians. I have just loved this book. I have loved diving into it. I don't know if it's helped you, because I'm not you, but it's helped me in just preparing to preach for it, and I just, I love this book. I feel like we've just scratched the surface, and you could just research and study. There's so many things in that book, but there's two verses left, and we're not making a whole message out of that, but it is... I've struggled in even studying that because of what I believe it means. But if you've ever missed, if you've missed, how many of you, there was a Sunday or two or five that you missed in the last two or three months? Sunday or two, okay. So look, you're going to get everything. You're going to just back, back it up. Here we go. So let's ch- turn to chapter one. And our week one... Our week one, we dealt with chapter one, verses one through 11, and it was thanksgiving and prayer. Here's how it's going to, here's how we're going to roll. We're going to go through each week, we're going to go through the key verses and the key themes, and then we're going to go to the next one, okay? It's only 57 weeks, what's the big deal, you know? No, I'm just kidding, it's not that many. So week one was thanksgiving and prayer. Let's read the first few verses. Paul and Timothy. Servants of Jesus Christ to the saints in Christ Jesus who are where? Philippi. So who is writing this letter? Paul, with, with the collaboration of Timothy, he's writing it to the saints where? And the saints who are in who? Christ Jesus with the overseers and the deacons, which indicates the church has grown. And if God gets in something, it tends to grow. And that's what happened. The next verse is grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Next verse, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy, and I think there's one verse left, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. We see that Paul starts, he's in prison. If you've missed a few weeks, if you don't realize it, Paul's in prison and he's struggling. He's I could imagine Paul sitting on the edge of his couch and wondering like, "Man, how am I going to pay the bills? I can't I'm not doing the tent making thing right now. I can't sell to people. What am I going to do?" And then lo and behold this man shows up. And that's just like God does, by the way. Have you ever been desperate? And then all of a sudden God sends just you would think it's a face of an angel and God blesses you with that and that's what happened with Paul and he's writing to the church at Philippi and he's saying, "Man, I'm I'm thanking God for you. Man, I'm I'm praying for you. I thank God that you guys got saved like 10 years or so ago. Man, I was there when the church started and Lydia got saved and the little servant girl got saved and man the Philippian jailer got saved and it was just this little awkward bunch of believers from different backgrounds but they accepted Christ and man now you've got overseers you've got chief servants you've got elders and it's like man this is so incredibly exciting I'm so glad to hear from you I thank God for you I thank God for what he's doing through you but man I also I thank God for your growth And some of you were just starting out in Christ and it was just like Jesus said in John 3. It's like you were born again and you were struggling and toddling along like a little infant and you were falling down all the time. But man, I see God working in you and through the seasons of time, it's like you are starting to develop the power to say no to things you couldn't say no to before and it's just amazing. And man, you're growing in the word. Man, thank God for you. But man, I'm telling you, I thank God for your generosity. You gave, you gave not just of your time and the church itself, but man, you you reached deep into your pockets and you gave to me because you felt like that I was worth your time. Man, God, I I thank Him for you. You're just a beautiful body of believers. I'm so thankful for you and I pray for you though because I know, speaking for Paul here, I know what the future holds. And I know if you continue to follow Christ, it won't be things that just get better and better and better all the time. It will be that you are going to really struggle so much so that it's going to be difficult for you to even think, man, if, if God loves me so much, why is He allowing these terrible, awful things to happen to me? But let's remember this, church, and I mean to Mill Creek difficult things are going to happen to me and you. And a lot of times what we do with something like desperation is we stiff arm it and we say, no, 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 you're not my friend. I don't want that here. I don't want that kind of struggle, but let us remember this. And I believe this is what the whole of Philippians is about. When God allows us to struggle, sometimes when we are not struggling, we forget who God is, and we're not walking with him. But when you are desperate, and when you are poor, and when you are broken, you do not reach out to God in any other time like you do in that time. When the account is flush and the food is on the table and in the refrigerator and in the pantry whenever the heat is on and the AC is on and all of these things are working and the car is going, it's kind of like, okay, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And it's like it's the same struggle that the Israelites went through in the Old Testament. Things got cushy, things got good, so I don't need God. So he's thanking God for them in chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. He's thanking them for their partnership. And week number two is chapter 1, 12 through 20, and it's the statement that we use for the title, Live Like You Were Dying. And I know you're singing that song already in your head, Live Like You Were Dying. That's why I did that. I want you to remember that. Now we're going to read... A couple of verses from that chapter, chapter one, verse number twelve, and then verse number eighteen. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that what happens, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And I love how he says it in verse number 18. What then? What? What? Hey, Paul, hey, you you've been put in jail wrongfully. What? What about it? Paul there are pastors out here that are jumping on you and they're saying that you went to jail because you did something stupid and you did something wrong or maybe you embezzled something, and they're talking about you and they're cornering the market because you're not out here and they're rising and it seems like you're falling. And Paul looked at him and he wrote this letter and he said, "What does it matter? I do not matter." And so many times we rise to the occasion and we want to defend our honor and we want people to respect us. Y'all, it's not about people respecting me, it's about people respecting the God of heaven. I will pass away. You will pass away. People will forget our name in just one generation. And in two generations, they won't even remember you as grandma or grandpa. They say you experience two deaths. In the realm of the world, you experience death when you die, and there's another death when you, your name is uttered for the very last time because nobody even remembers who you are. You can say the same thing for many people that's in this cemetery right here. If you go back 100 years, a lot of people don't even remember who they were. And the same thing's going to happen to us. Why, Josh, that's very uncomfortable. Yes, but we have to come to terms with it. Are you going to last forever in this life? Neither am I. So when we begin to accept that we are dying men, they say that the greatest type of soldier, and the great time to mention this is today, that the greatest type of soldier is the one who has accepted his fate, that he is a man that is walking, but he is essentially a dead man. Because then you can give it all. If you already believe that you're dying, why not go out in a blaze of glory? I want to die respectfully. I want to die with honor. And I want to die fighting not down on my knees. When we live like we're dying, God, Jesus, changes our attitude towards our circumstances. So many times we resist desperation. We resist like, man, why am I in this spot? And then the whole time, how many of us have done this? We've been so angry and so mad to the point of driving us crazy like, why is this happening to me? I'm so angry. And God's the whole time tinging us on the head saying, dummy, wake up. I'm trying to teach you something. And we resist it. But when I realize that God is using a negative circumstance and man, this relationship that I have, it's busted up and I want to try to fix this or I lost this person in my life and I want to fix that or I lost these finances I'm trying to fix that. Stop trying to fix it all. Stop and just be. Be still and know that I am God. He changes our attitude towards our circumstances. He releases us from the pressure of being the hero. So many times we beat our chest. It's about me. I want people to respect me. I want to be the hero of this situation. And none of us are. He's the hero. The last part is he calms our fears about ourselves and our futures. If today is the worst day that I've ever had in my whole life, you know the reason I can get up in the morning? Why? Because I believe that tomorrow morning could be, hopefully, a better day. Does that make sense? If everything falls apart, if it's all terrible, if it's all awful, if I lose, if if everything's so bad, I can go to sleep, I can rest and reset, and I can get up the next day because I hope something's going to be better. What can the Christian hope for if they experience day after day after day of bad things? What is it? I'm going to heaven. Man, I got to make sure. And look, I want to stay here as long as I can. You probably do too. But our hope is not in this life. Our hope is not in our homes. Our hopes are not in our land. Our hope is not that people do what we think they should do. Because they're not going to anyway. Our hope is is in Jesus. Amen and amen. How many, of you, how many of us acknowledge that so many times we put our hope in all the other things and we reach for all the other comforts and the things that are unhealthy for us and we isolate, we separate, and then we go and just kind of be by ourselves. It's like Jesus calms our fears about our futures. He gives us hope. Week number three was what to do what to do. In verse number 21 through 24, we'll read that for you. For to me to live is who? Christ. And to die is what? Gain. If I am to live in the flesh, you know what that means for me? If I live, guess what it means for me? Fruitful labor. That means I get to work for God. Yet, which I shall choose. Paul's basically we didn't go through the whole chapter right here, but he's pretty much on the outside saying, you know what? I've been stoned. I'm talking about rocks here, not other, not other stuff. I've been stoned. I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. There was an experience I wasn't even sure if I was in the body or out of the body. Man, all these things have happened to me. You know what? I imagine Paul sitting over here, and he's like, and he writes about it in the letter. He says, "I think I'd just rather die. I, I think I would. You know what? If given a choice, I think that's what I would choose." But he comes to the other side. He says, you know, I, I really want to do that, but I need to ask the question, what, what do I need to do? Y'all remember if you were here this week, what we talked about, it's like, how many of us have things we want to do? We have things we want to do. Can you put that up? There's a what I want to do, what I need to do up there. We have things that we want to do, but how many of us know that a lot of times the things that we want to do are not the things that we need to do. That stinks sometimes when we realize it. Specifically, what's coming to my mind is how many of us have conversations that we need to have with people that we don't want to have with people. And if we just neglect it and don't do it, it's like, no, I'm just not going to do it, not going to do it, and we sweep it under the rug, pretty soon that, that little mound has become a mountain, and everybody's tripping over it. There's an awkward tension in the house or in the organization or whatever, and the conversation needs to be had. Somebody needs to say the thing. Somebody's got to, or it's going to fracture, it's going to fall apart. Let's ask ourselves, what do I want to do? Then what do I need to do? Okay, well then, how do I do that? I don't know how many people in this room are the agreeable types, like you just want to say yes to everything um, because you don't want to disappoint people. But I'm one of those, and one of the words that you and I need to learn, the most valuable word that you need to learn, and that I'm trying to learn The word, it's two letters. No. No. How many of us know we can't be in multiple places at one time? How many know even people that say I multitask, you can really only do one thing at one time? Right? Like we need to learn the word no. We need to step back and be like, okay, even good things I feel like can become distractions. Right? Even good things and even helping people can become distractions as crazy as that sounds. But we need to prioritize and learn the word no. No? No. Hey, can you come and help us with, hey, can you come do that? And you want to, but as you pray about it, it's like, no, I've I've got my family that I need to take care of and I need to lead them to God. And I want to be involved in my church, but I've got to have a balance and a rhythm and that's healthy. Well, Josh, how does that help me? Um, one of our verses that we'll go to here in a little bit is oh, Philippians four thirteen. How does it start? Somebody help me. Um, I can do all things. Okay, I can do all things through who? Who? But what does he do? Strengthens me. Whenever we're not learning and we're fractured and we're all over the place, are we weak or are we strong? We're weak. Josh, I can't imagine telling somebody, no, I mean, when, I, when they ask me to do something, I just, I want to say yes, but then you're stretching yourself too far, and then when you're snapping at your family and saying things that you shouldn't to your family, is that making your home weak or strong? It's weakening. It's deteriorating. You see what I'm saying? That's just one context. Take it however you want to, however you feel like you need to, but Jesus wants us strong in him so that we can be strong for our families and for him. So may we remember that. Um week number 4 is the hymn of Christ and I I don't really know anything else but then to just read this because it's so beautiful. Week number 4 it says in verses 2 through or in verses 5 through 11 have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who though he was in the form of God he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped in other words he he, he didn't feel like he was taking anything from God to being equal with God. In other words, there's the deity and lending to the trinity of God right there. It's like Jesus is equal with God. God in the Father, God in Christ, God in the Spirit, three in one. He didn't feel like he was robbing from God. He didn't call it equality with, uh, with God a thing to be grasped. But here's what he did. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of who? Men. Y'all remember that day that we had the painting up here? It's just like, we have a painting, and here's what it's kind of like. It's like the artist who painted the painting doesn't paint the painting and say, wow, man, this is nice, this is nice, and sell it off. It would be like the artist himself supernaturally leaves the dimension that he's in of the creative, and he comes inside of the painting. He goes inside of the painting. Like, that seems crazy. It's like, man, well, then the painter's limited. Then he can hardly do anything. And that's what Jesus did to himself. He allowed himself to come inside of creation. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of what? Death, and even the death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. You know why? Because he deserves it. He deserves it, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee, every single knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You say, "Well, Josh, I know some people that hate God so much, they deny exist. They will never do that. Yes, they will. Yes, they will. The whole theme of that chapter is Christ's selfless humility. If Jesus, this is a great picture for all of us. It's like, man, if Jesus can, can come from the throne of heaven, come into our world that he created, because there's no other way than to submit to the rules of, the, the rules of physics, the rules of life, and then be obedient even unto death. They say, yeah, we got that guy. We killed him. He must not have been God like he said he was. And then three days later, it's like, uh-oh. If Jesus can do that, then I can humble myself, and I can admit that he is who he said he was, and I can humble myself and say, I am. I can repent, and I can turn, and I can serve other people who I feel like I don't even want to serve. But I can do that, because even the people that Jesus served, one of them was the devil himself. Remember that? Week number five is the book and the cover. We're going to read a few verses, just a couple of verses from here. 2, 12, and 13. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so so now not only is in my presence but much more in my absence. We see those words? Work out what? Your own salvation with fear and trembling. We dealt with this this day, with that day. We'll deal with it a little bit today. People look at that verse and they say, ah, oh, ah, oh, see, you do work for your salvation. See, you can work hard enough that you get there, except that's not what it says. It says work out. Tell you two things this doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that I get to work for my salvation. And like, by the way, how hard would I have to work? It also doesn't mean this, and I feel like we hear much more of this. When you ask somebody, hey, do you know God? Are you a believer? And it goes something like this. Hey. Hey, look. Me and God, we're working out our own thing. No, but are you saved? Are you a Christian? Look, I don't like them labels, man. I don't like. It's a biblical label. Are you in Christ? Or, look, man, I'm telling you, me and God, we tight. You ever heard that? We tight, man. And basically, there's the spirit of antinomianism that's saying, I don't want no rules. I don't want nobody telling me what to do, even God. Well, what do you think is going to happen? It doesn't mean that I work out my own thing between me and God. Then it's outside of the Bible, outside of the scripture. I must submit to Him in obedience. We don't like that. But submission looks like getting on your knees and accepting Christ for who He said He was. If Christ is working in us, our inside is going to reflect our outside. Like the attitude of a Christian should never be well, nobody can judge me but God. Well, you realize that's not a triumphant statement, right? Saying that only God can judge me, that's actually scary. Because God is going to judge you, and you ain't hiding nothing from him. Amen? And you say, well, ain't nobody going to judge me. Let me just say this right here. Do Do we all know that people are judging us whether we want them to or not? They're judging us whether we want them to or not. So to say, ain't nobody going to judge me. It's a good attitude to know that it's about God and not about people. But at the same time, they're judging us anyway. So what does that mean for me, Josh? That means the inside, the interior of the book needs to reflect the cover of the book. And I'm not talking about appearances. I'm not talking about what you dress and we ought to dress right, I guess, whatever that means, but I'm talking about our attitude and how we treat people. Can I can I say something right here? Um I've seen this happen in my life and at first I just thought well that's just how it goes. But I think it's totally I think it's totally wrong. When somebody who says that they know Jesus, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I go to church. Goes to a restaurant. And they are waited on. And they give That poor waiter, that poor waitress, all kind of issues. And they stand up and they holler and they wag their finger. I'm just going to say this right here. I don't, I'll hardly ever say anything like this. But shame on you if you do that. That's awful. You say, well, let me tell you something, Josh. My meal was wrong. Then say it. But don't act like a jerk for Jesus. Is that waiter or waitress a human being, yes or no? Was there ever a time when you were of humble means and you had to work something like that? You say, well, I never have. Well, God just may send you down that road. God has a way of doing that. Treat people well. You say, well, they don't believe like I do. They're still a person. They're still, you say, well, they're not a believer, but look in their face. Do you know that person's made in the image of, of almighty God themselves. And they could end up being your brother or your sister in Christ. Amen and amen. The inside should reflect the outside. The outside should reflect the inside. The book and the cover ought to be the same. Week number six, we dealt with mannequins and models. Y'all remember the dummy that I brought or the little mannequin dummy thing? The key verses here, it says, And for I have no one like him, talking about Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For I am more eager to send him, Paphroditus. Therefore, you may rejoice seeing him again, and that I much may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor in such men. It's good to honor people. I know it's, I know we're all about Christ, and we should be, but sometimes God allows us people in our life that have been walking the road for much longer than we have so that when we're toddling like a brand-new born, brand-new little baby, then we can grab onto somebody and say, hey, can you help me? I'm wrestling. I am struggling. And We ought to honor people that are walking with Christ. Jesus left us the gospel. We talked about this on that day in three ways. He left us the gospel written in His Word. Amen. There will be no excuse, my friends, when we stand before God. There will be no excuse. So well, I didn't have enough time to read my Bible, but we could binge Netflix for two hours every night. I didn't have time. man, I just didn't have time to study the Word of God or to pray. And yet you were scrolling on TikTok or Instagram for three hours a day. I'm not preaching at you. I'm just saying we don't have excuses. He left us the gospel written in the Word breathed by the Holy Spirit, and then also alive in his disciples from then all the way to now. In week number seven, we deal with trash and treasure. In verses chapter three, verses one through 11, and verse seven and eight, it says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss or rubbish for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You ever been hit with a two-by-four? Right? You ever been hit in the face? That'll wake you up. Who will. You ever been hit with a stick in the face? Yeah? Don't feel good. But I'll tell you what, if you were sleepy, now you're not. It'll wake you up. Paul had that experience on the, on the road to Damascus. Do, 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 gonna go persecute some Christians. Yes, 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 this is gonna be awesome. Rising up in the religion of the Pharisees and the Jews. This is amazing. I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. Riding on his horse. zippity doo da zippity-ay, oh my. Bam! Knocked off his, what in the world and a voice, and a light. Oh, hold on, what's, hey, buddy. Hey, what you doing? Hey, who's talking to me? You want to know? You want to know? Hey, I'll tell you who's talking to you. It's Jesus. And in that moment, Everything that he had ever worked for is coming and crumbling down. I've risen so high in this religion, and, man, I've studied, and I've, I've devoted my life to this craft, and people respect me, and, man, I'm the student of the law. Man, I know these books of the old. Man, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just awesome, man. My career's ahead of me. Someday I'm going to go, and I'm going to get me a wife, and I'm going to settle down, and I'll have a comfortable, and everything is falling apart. And it's like he got hit in the face with a two-by-four. We resist moments like this, and we say, no, 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 I don't want any of that. But yet, that's what God has to do to us sometimes. And he realized in that moment, everything that he'd ever worked for is now categorically trash. And that stinks. But he began to realize what true treasure was, and that's in Christ. In week number eight, it's how hungry are you? And So I ask you a question today, how hungry are you? Good thing we're not cooking food over there today, right? How hungry are you? Well, in verse 13 and 14, it says this, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, I'm forgetting everything that's left behind. All this stuff that I work for, all the things that's happened, I'm forgetting that, and I'm straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Y'all remember this this day. We talked about justification, three essential Christian doctrines. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Anybody want to shout out and tell me what justification was? Just a rough idea? That's a great way to put it. It's just as if I'd never sinned. When Jesus saves me, I'm different. I'm made perfect technically in God. That's the only way that I can get to heaven. And yet, though, I still have a body. How many of us are still ha- We still have our body? right? We still have our body. So you know what that means? We have urges. We have impulses. We have things that we struggle with, things that we wrestle with, patterns that we established back in our past, and they still come back to haunt us today. So you know what that means? We get to fight. But guess who's fighting the battle with us now? Jesus. He is sanctifying me. He is making me pure, and he is changing me the whole time until eventually, as I am struggling one day I will cross the finish line and I will be glorified and my body will be changed. I think this is one of those moments where the um, progressive ideologies, a lot of times, are saying, Well, just determine your identity. I am this. I am that. I am this or I am that. In our context, we talked about a few weeks ago, it's like, Well, look, I'm just anxious, okay? Leave me alone. As a Christian, I don't get to say that, though. As a Christian, I get to say, no, first and foremost, I am a child of the king. I am a child of God. I wrestle with anxiety. I wrestle with depression. I wrestle with addiction. But that ain't me. That ain't my name. My name is written down in glory and it will be forever. And one day I will see him as he is and this body will be laid down and I will be with him. And no more of this stuff. Yeah. Week number nine, would dealt with anger and anxiety. Verses two, I think, I have written down. I entreat you, Odea, and I entreat, I am urging you, these are two ladies, I entreat you two ladies, agree in the Lord. They were having a conflict. They were fighting. We ever fight with people? You ever get frustrated with people? Right? We do. It happens. Conflict happens. Anger happens. Paul reminds them, hey, ladies, it's about the Lord. Remember, you're on the same team and in the same family. Amen and amen. And then we dealt with anxiety. Verses 6 through 7, it says, don't be anxious about what? Did he he stutter? (laughs) Don't be anxious about what? Anything. But what do we do? In everything, what am I doing? Praying. And supplication, with thanking God, let your requests be made known to God. And guess what happens when I do that, when I pray about everything, the very next verse? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? That's just beautiful. The Christian must constantly refocus on Christ. Reading the word, memorizing the word, renewing, meeting with other believers, being honest, confessing sin, and having an attitude of repentance and praise be to God. His mercies are new every single morning. You say, man, Josh, I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm saved, but I've been wrestling with this and it just seems like, brother, you could have the darkest night, but you wake up the next day. His mercies are new every single day. Week number 10, and we're almost there. If I'm at peace, if I'm at peace with God, then here's what I can be joyful about. I can be joyful in my living. I can be joyful in giving, and I can just be content. Verse number 12 and 13 in chapter 4, it says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And that's the context. I can do all things through Christ, through him, who strengthens me. I can do everything. I can be content. I can realize that if terrible circumstances come my way, I can rest that, okay, God's trying to do something right here. I don't know what he's doing, but he's trying to do something. I, can, I cannot be resentful when I get knocked down, but I get up again. I can share my resources. Some of you will get that. I can share my resources, and I can give because I realize all this stuff that I have, it ain't even mine anyway. Someday, you know, you all know this, someday somebody, somebody else is going to own your house. Someday, it's honestly, some of our houses are going to go to a, like an estate auction. Like, well, our cars, like some of them are get passed down. Somebody will enjoy them, but eventually most of them are going to go to somebody else if they don't rust before then, our stuff is not our own. In the last week, and this is this. This is it. It's goodbye and I love you. It says, greet every saint. Paul's closing the letter. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me, They greet you. The other brothers, man, they come visit me in prison. They greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in your spirit. He's closing the letter, and I think here's what he's saying. I think Paul is realizing, he's looking at him, he's saying, Bye. Love you. Why do we do that on the phone? Bye, I love you. Bye. It's all. It's almost like it's one word. Bye, I love you. Bye, I love you. It's like one utterance. Bye, I love you. Why do we say that? I. I think sometimes it may be. It may just be the thing to do. But I think what we're saying is, hey, I'm telling you bye. But hey, look, if something happens to me. If something happens to me, and I never get to talk to you again. One thing, one thing I want you to know, I love you so much. I love you so much. And I think Paul is a minister he's speaking to this church. And he's saying, I love you, but this could be goodbye. And I never talk to you again. Y'all please don't miss this. Someday I'm going to tell you bye. I don't want it to be today or tomorrow or next year or ten years from now, but truth be told, someday we'll part. In this life we'll part. I want you to know as a church that I love you and I care about you. I love what God's doing here. I don't take it for granted. I do not seek any other opportunity. I want to be here. God allows me the rest of my life. But someday we'll part. And all the people that drift in in our life and out of our life, someday you'll say bye to them for the last time. And I think Paul is just reassuring and he's comforting. He's saying, hey, look, even even the Roman guard when he says he's Caesar's household, some commentaries think that it's possibly royal citizens from Caesar's household. Some think it's more, more than likely the Praetorian Guard. And you imagine these people, these Roman guards that were so stoic and so strong, they were chained to this apostle Paul. Paul's talking in their ear all the time. Hey, 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 do you know about Jesus? You know about Jesus? Hey, I love Jesus. You love Jesus. Jesus, 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 And you know what some of those guards went and did? The audacity. They went and got saved. Could, could God save a Roman soldier? Yeah. God's good, ain't he? Y'all, I've loved this series. I love this book. But it's time to close it. Hey, thank you so much for listening. It it means the world to me that you would take the time to listen to our sermons. If you if you'd like to connect with us, shoot us an email at office at hopechurchmillcreek.com. That's office at hopechurchmillcreek.com. Or just come by for a service in person, 10 30 a.m. Sunday mornings. Address is 1562 Mill Creek Road, Roxboro, North Carolina. Uh, I would love to meet you in person, and um, I guess that's all for now. So don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you would kindly. We pray that you'd have a great day. Uh, For Hope Church Mill Creek, I'm Pastor Josh. Grace and peace.